0: Hello and welcome to the Built Academy podcast, episode four. My name is Carl Storms, and I'll be your host on this journey in which we learn from our technology correspondent, David, about all the things that he's got in store for us for this month's podcast. Hello, and welcome, David. So, what have you been preparing for us and our loyal listeners?
1: Hey, Carl. This month, I was exploring the concept of automation within the construction industry. Over the last few years, automation has increasingly made its way into our environment and has been quickly evolving in many ways. In order to better understand the future of automation in the AEC industry, I've met a variety of experts, each with their own perspective on automation. These perspectives range from automation and software engineering, data collection on construction sites, prefabrication and manufacturing. By asking them what automation looks like and who it is useful for, I hope to offer our listeners an insight in the role of automation in the construction industry and how they can come together to shape the future of the sector and our built environment.
0: Certainly sounds interesting. So who do we have up first?
1: Our first guest on this episode is Gordon Price. Gordon is an architect by education and has straddled the practice technology fence since university. He has been at times a job captain, a CAD manager, a BIM manager, and an IT manager, including a stint in all three technology management roles for a firm of around 50 people during their first two Revit pilot projects. He thinks that may have been where the light really went on for him regarding automation. He now spends his time writing and supporting the software tools he wished he had back then. Hey, Gordon, how are you? I'm well. How about you? I'm doing good, yeah. Uh, You're first up today, so I thought it'd be a good idea to to bring you in the start to have a better understanding of the software side of things. Uh, I believe, personally, that uh, software is a substantial building block uh, of automated technologies. Uh, I'd like to ask you to just explain to the listeners a bit about software technology within automation and what role that plays?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you can really say that fundamentally software technology is automation. We, we use software to automate things that we used to do manually. So in that sense, it is automation. And, and the goal there, you know, you're always looking for ways to automate the things that are really repetitive, really tedious, really time consuming, so that you can focus on other things. And everything about software is automation in that sense. The other thing that you can think about there is that there's levels of automation, how, how much complexity that automation can embody. So to give kind of a, an analog example, a person following a recipe is automation from the perspective of the person who's going to eat the food. So at the simplest level, you can have just a recipe that is given a certain set of inputs, a certain set of ingredients, the person follows the recipe and they make the meal that the recipe is for. And so there's really no decision-making process, but it is a time saver in the sense that the person eating it doesn't have to cook it, they've handed it off to somebody else. Whereas say a cook, an actual professional cook is a little bit more advanced. You can give them a list of a bunch of different ingredients that are available and they can choose the right recipe to follow based on what's available. They can make slight variations in the ingredients. They can adjust seasoning. They can adapt the recipe a little bit. So you have a scenario of different inputs and varied outputs, but the major decision is still which recipe to use. Then you get to the level of a chef who can actually decide what ingredients to buy while they're at the market based on what's in season, what goes together well, flavors wise, you know, colors wise, and what looks freshest at the moment. And then they can choose the recipe, they can adapt a recipe, they can even create an all new recipe based on their experience with those ingredients and maybe end up producing a meal that's never existed before. So the the key here, I think, is that at all these different levels of complexity, you're really, one of the, the jobs you need to do is figure out which form of automation is appropriate for the task at hand. And really there, I think one of the the key ideas is that you're not looking for the automation to be about efficiency, which is the word that everybody uses. You want to be more efficient. You want to save time. But really what your goal is, is to be more effective. And being more efficient is one way to be more effective, but it's not the only way. And so by setting that goal ahead of time of being more effective in your overall job, then you can really prioritize what to do and when and how with your automations. And, and I think that makes a really big difference in the planning side of things.
1: So yeah, I get what you're saying. So um, you need to be more effective to be more efficient, I guess, is also something.
2: True. You know, it, it does go both ways. And for me, the, it's that definition of effectiveness as, as the primary end goal and then understanding how to get there. So, you know, the example being, um, maybe you you need to install software and that takes time. So you automate that. If the only thing you're measuring is your efficiency in installing the software, you, you only see part of the puzzle. But if what you realize is that you've now bought yourself time to spend a lot more time training people to use the software, now you've made yourself more effective you know, as a BIM manager, for example, but you've also made the entire office more effective. And the automation is what bought you that opportunity. That becomes a really powerful thing.
1: So I guess uh, a good point after that would be to discuss who, who's using it, who's eating the meal.
2: Uh, so in a very real sense, everyone is using automation in, in the sense that everyone's using software and software is automation. Uh, Coming from from my background with, with the focus in the software install and customization space, you know, the people who are using it are CAD managers, BIM managers, and IT managers, you know, who are using it to install software and customize software so that their staff can then go on to use it. But the bigger picture is that the staff are also using more and more advanced levels of automation just all day, every day.
1: Maybe we could go into a bit more detail uh talking about what they're actually using it for,
2: yeah definitely um at the the simplest level, not to beat the uh the the food <laughs> metaphor like it's a dead horse, but you know a software deployment or an install that has a little bit of customization and there's every piece of software works a little bit differently, but it's all kind of comes down to the same recipe it's as you would install the software, you're going to answer all the same questions over and over and over. And so that recipe form, a deployment, is just answering all those questions once so that when you run the deployment, all those questions get answered for you. And that's a form of automation that will buy you some time. Um, Another level that's more focused on the BIM software itself is the creation of a section or really any view. When you create a view, the BIM software has a set of rules based on the ingredients, walls and doors and windows and floors and ceilings, and what they look like in section, in plan, in elevation, in a schedule. And so creating that view is automating all of those things that we used to manually do in hand drafting and AutoCAD, whatever. Um, Similarly, uh, clash detection is a form of automation where it's just going through looking at all these objects and especially objects that can move and figure out if they're going to interfere with each other. So that's kind of that cook level of, of automation. And then you get into visual programming, be it Grasshopper or Dynamo or whatever comes next. And this is where you get to start actually defining all those rules yourself and, you know, creating an automation to solve the unique problem you have in front of you right now and then some of those become regular problems that you have to solve on every project but sometimes they're not sometimes it's a problem just on this project and having the ability to create some automation maybe the automation is going to do something that you need to do a lot of but maybe the automation is going to give you 50 different solutions that then you can come back and make that decision which solution is best and it gives you 50 solutions really quickly so that you can then look at them all those are all variations on that kind of automation and then you get to the next level that we haven't even talked about yet which is machine learning where the machine itself learns what it needs to do and you're not driving it nearly as much and it it becomes more of a collaboration in, in that sense. Whereas everything we've talked about thus far, it's, it's a little bit more of a, you know, you're driving the horse that's pulling the cart and machine learning's a, a totally different animal.
1: So I guess let's, let's imagine the world is a perfect place and everyone's listened to this podcast and they understand the effectiveness and efficiency thing. Um, where do you see the future being? What do you think that would look like?
2: Um, I think there's two keys there. I think on the one hand, there's all of these automation tools help us to think like programmers because we're becoming programmers in a very real sense. And that thought process can be really beneficial when you apply it to everything else we do. It's, it's you know, it helps you learn how to break a big problem into small problems. It helps you learn how to prioritize problems so that the answer for the latter piece doesn't force you to go back and change an already made decision. It helps us just from the standpoint of understanding our software, not only as users, but as managers of users, the, the project manager on a team who has to staff their their project for, for people who are using BIM software, understanding how the software works, helps them do a better job of staffing that project and learning how to, use, you know, especially visual programming, which is a great way for people who aren't programmers and are visual because of their their career choices can dip their, their toe into the pool of this thought process and learn how the software works and that makes them better managers. It's really kind of amazing. And then in the big picture that I think you're really talking about looking like 10, 15 years out, I think machine learning in, and AI is really where automation is going. And the the key with machine learning is the machine has to learn. It needs a ton of training data to get to the the point where it can do something useful. And it's really currently only applicable on really, really massive data sets and, and, you know, doing things that are just unimaginable without that computational speed. So from the perspective of software deployments and software customization, maybe there's just no no need there but within our industry i think one of the first places that it's going to come up is probably in point clouds and the ability for you know a drone to go out fly around a building generate the point cloud and understand through machine learning what it needs to actually create point clouds of and where it needs more points and less points and then it'll be able to you know, via satellite, beam all that data back to a machine learning service on, you know, a cloud server somewhere. And it'll be able to go through and actually recognize these a thousand points maybe out of millions represent a window and then be able to figure out what kind of window and then be able to go through a library, a content library of windows to choose from, choose the right window and place it. And within some ridiculously small amount of time, you'll have an actual BIM model that you can work within your BIM software, go through and maybe make some adjustments based on things that didn't get done quite right, and then send that model back to the AI so that it can learn from what you changed. And at that point, you're really getting close to Clark's third law where, you know, A sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, or at least, you know, for us old hats, and for the younger generation, it'll just be, that's the way it's done.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree. There's even stuff nowadays that I'm looking at uh, as a young person and and thinking that it does seem like magic. So, yeah, I I totally agree with you. Um, Unfortunately, though, this is all the time we have for you today. I'd love to, I'd love to hear back from you some other point maybe in a different podcast episode.
2: Absolutely. That'd be fun. Thanks for having me on.
1: Thanks for coming. Awesome. Thanks, Gordon.
0: Thank you. Well, that was some pretty good stuff from Gordon. Um, A few things that I take away from listening to that was the idea of the baking analogy, the idea that we're going to automate the things that are repetitive and the idea of it being a recipe I thought would resonate with a lot of people. I liked Gordon's idea that we want to be more efficient, but this automation makes us more effective, which in turn makes us more efficient. And the last little line that he said about machine learning is not magic, but it certainly will seem to be. It's, it's definitely magical to me, I'll tell you that.
1: Yeah, I think that was uh, Clark's third law. That's the one. Yes, um, it's really cool how automation software uh, can create opportunities to make processes more effective. You also mentioned um, machine learning and I think our second guest can help us elaborate a bit more in depth about the relevance of enhancing software automation in practice such as robotic technologies. Our second guest, Brian Ringley, is the Construction Technology Manager at Boston Dynamics where he supports AECOO customer applications for the Spot platform. He promotes the development of new autonomous behavior that adds value to construction project delivery Prior to Boston Dynamics, he was a senior construction automation researcher at WeWork, where he managed the construction robotics research program and contributed to initiatives in the design automation and modular prefabrication. Previously, he taught at the University of Cincinnati, D.A.A.P., City Tech, City College, and most recently at Pratt-GUAD, where he led seminars in computational fabrication and industrial robotics. Hey, Brian, how are you today?
3: Hey, David, I'm good, thank you.
1: Uh, I just brought you in today to ask you a couple of questions about uh, automization within the construction industry, specifically in uh, robotics and how they affect things within uh, different stages of a project. So I guess my my first question would be, uh, can you give us a bit of an explanation of robotics and the role within construction sites?
3: Yeah, um, I can give kind of a couple parallel explanations in terms of Boston Dynamics' interest in that and then kind of an overview of where we are in the industry. Um, So Boston Dynamics has been A company since the 90s um, with a lot of interest in legged mobility that actually originates from work in the 80s at the leg lab, uh, first at Carnegie Mellon and then at MIT. Um, And in kind of recent years, there's been an interest in finding a way to get these types of robots, which are very dynamic um, and able to traverse terrain in human-purposed environments, um, rather than environments designed for automation like factories and warehouses. In um, getting these robots out of the lab and into the real world. And as part of that, there were a lot of conversations with, with people in industry, and it turns out that one of the most difficult environments to bring robotics and automation into uh, happens to be construction sites. So the company has kind of been working on that problem and seeing a value in, in Spot's capability to traverse those sites. And I think more broadly, uh, we're at an interesting time in construction robotics i mean the work uh of deploying robots on construction uh sites kind of began in earnest probably in the 80s in in japan with a lot of the primary general contractors there Um, but i think we're seeing a resurgence um in efforts to deploy different types of robots on construction sites lately due to other technological advances the Miniaturization, affordability, and portability of sensors that need to go on the robots for one. New methods of locomotion, such as you know improved drones and quadcopters, as well as as legged robotics for interior navigation. Um, you know advances in software that's actually able to leverage AI and ML methods, edge computing, the cloud, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Connected job sites. You know all of these pieces and parts have really enabled this resurgence. And I think we're seeing kind of two main categories, which is, you know, a kind of general robotics framework. If we think of of spot as a mobility framework that can get any device or sensor, you know, you're interested in to, to any location you're interested in to collect data or, um, you know, single task robotics where the morphology or design of the robot is, is very specific to one particular, you know, activity. You know like like painting or drywall finishing or or performing layout as as we've seen with uh, robot from dusty robotics as a good example
1: interesting stuff yeah um i've been hearing a bit about uh, different developments being used in construction sites uh, as you said sensors uh, so i'd love to hear uh, some of the recent developments that you're hopeful about or are interested in
3: yeah i mean for me there's there's a lot of interest in in these job sites being connected i think we all know that if we want to create more advanced kind of digital construction methods, you know, we need, we need better and more robust, on, uh, robust networks on job sites. It, it's a difficult issue, too. I mean, these are ephemeral or temporary environments. Um, you don't typically want to invest in a lot of infrastructure that's, that's specific to the construction phase. And it's not necessarily easy to invest in infrastructure that can then outlast the construction phase into the owner-operator phase, which which could be an opportunity. So it's it's understandably a challenge. But you know, I think it's taken a long time. But we've got you know we've got construction personnel now on sites with with tablets, with, with digitized document sets, um, with with Wi-Fi, and of course the the cell phones in the, in their pockets. So. I think to some those seem like small steps, but I actually think they're pretty they're pretty fundamental, and that it's laying the foundation for us to be able to start to bring in more advanced technologies like robotics.
1: How can these uh, robotic automation technologies uh, improve current problems and and mistakes made in today's sites?
3: Yeah, so I think that gets to some fundamental questions about the value of robotics, and I think if If we frame it with with the low-hanging fruit or the table stakes of what Spot is hoping to accomplish, it's that I think traditionally, you know, as we've rolled out, you know, digitized construction, including um, in particular BIM, um, has been a very linear process where design intent is established, you know, in a digital model that is a data-rich environment. Um, and then that's kind of pushed out in a linear fashion with the expectation that, you know, the documentation makes its way to the trades and that they perform that work relative to the design intent. But the truth of the matter is, is that it's, it's a much more um, complex feedback loop than that. Um, it it's, needs to be a bi-directional information flow. There are bits of intelligence that are captured on site that are not captured in the model. And, and frankly, they should be captured on site, those, those professionals. Um, have the experience to make those decisions. So I think that if you really zoom out on the problem, it's really about, we haven't really designed the systems and and methodology for the construction process to be this kind of positive feedback loop. Um, You know, case in point, you know, Revit, for example, um, or really any BIM platform was not designed to ingest a high density point cloud on a daily basis. And yet, we know that there's value in collecting data that frequently in order to understand as-built conditions to stage the site for the next day, um, to perhaps automate our billing and payment systems to subcontractors, and just generally to more effectively manage the job site to prevent cost overruns and schedule overruns. So I think what I'm most excited about with a lot of these technologies is they start to You know, Spot is really kind of tackling the automated data capture uh, problem, but that opens a lot of doors to being able to establish this feedback loop. So now the question is, how do you combine technologies like on-site data capture robotics with um, emerging software platforms that are actually able to ingest like high volumes of frequently collected data and turn that into insight that's meaningful to project professionals. It could be updating uh, you know, BIM element parameters to kind of notify, you know, a designer if, if something has actually been been installed or not, or installed in the correct position or installed in a way that doesn't clash with another system. Um, but it could also be leveraged with with other systems, like I mentioned before, with with payment systems, with scheduling when the trades come on site and sequencing you know, there are so many obvious secondary benefits to just having a a well-organized data flow and and construction site.
1: What's your view on the robots are stealing our jobs conversation?
3: I think it's important to address that there are, when you talk about robotics and automation, that there are concerns around things like job loss. In terms of what we're doing with Spot, we don't approach it that way. We do not feel that that is a, a valid concern. And we also want to engage with the question and kind of You know be actively thinking about that and be proactive in that regard so when we talk with people on job sites it's it's about understanding where the value of automation would come in you know at the level of the people doing the work so a lot of the early feedback we got was around this notion of routine data capture you know automation has traditionally been used with the three with the three Ds, which is dull, dirty, and dangerous. So, you know, there's no question about putting a robot into a into a, an environment like an enclosed space or a tight space that's that's hazardous to a person. And we do that a lot in other industries and that's certainly relevant to construction. Um in terms of the dull, that's that's where we got a lot of feedback from from people on site it was just that was like the routine data capture, it's it's something, you know, they're doing a site walk, they're holding a 360 camera, they're trying to squeeze it in at the end of the day. And, you know, they'd honestly rather be doing something else. So it's really about augmenting the existing workforce, trying to find ways for them to be more productive. And, you know, part of that part of that game or that effort is to say, you know, what are the tasks? What are the high value tasks that require, you know, human skills and intelligence? And let's throw more people at that. And what are these lower level tasks that, you know, first and foremost, people don't really want to do because it's just not a good use of those resources like routine data capture. And then secondarily, that can actually be performed, you know, much more effectively by robotics and automation. So if you think about the idea of doing a daily site walk, you want to be able to take that photo at, you know, pretty much the exact same location every single day. Um, and that's something that a machine is really good at doing that that idea of like repeatability and frequency and then a human isn't so it, it's kind of it's nice because it's like something people don't want to do and that they don't see as valuable work and is also better done by a robot so i think we've by having this discourse and this conversation with you know the boots on the ground so to speak you know we understand how these robots actually make these workers lives better and then also make these companies more productive
1: so brian do you think we'll see a spot app store anytime soon
3: i hope so yeah we're figuring out like the the most efficient way to deploy those things to customers a lot of them are in the pilot phase right now so i mean it's kind of by whatever means necessary it could be us sending you like a, a python code repo and a zip file to get something going um but you know ideally we start to polish those things into, you know, whether it's executables that are run, you know, on board the Spot Core, which is the onboard CPU for the robot where you do like the development add-ons or ideally, yeah, it becomes something as nice as the app store where you're just in your control tablet and you can just install things, you know, over Wi-Fi. So we're, we're getting there with our partners slowly but surely as we prove out the base functionality.
1: So I could talk to you all day about robotics and, how they work and how they'll affect the future. Um, but unfortunately I'm gonna to have to wrap up our chat. But before I go, I'd I'd love to hear uh, what you think the greatest advancement in technology has been and how it will in impact the, the future.
3: Yeah, I mean I think it's I think it's multifold. Obviously the mobility that Legged Robotics affords is something that is really exciting to me as as someone who was formerly a, a researcher or a technology researcher in the construction industry. Um there were a lot of really interesting uh, robotic automation technologies coming to the field. Um, but, you know, none of them were really able to get everywhere I could go. And that's really the advantages of, of legs, you know, just being able to go up and downstairs, but, you know, uh, being able to step up and over obstacles. Um, so that mobility really showed me that that's, that's a critical advancement there. But, you know, beyond that, there are a lot of other things to think about, um, one is again, if you're going to focus on data capture, how do you combine the kind of data capture side with the data processing side? You always want to avoid just moving the bottleneck. Um, so there are a lot of interesting uh, emerging software platforms that you know we've been working with, both kind of in terms of like a workflow, which is just you know is this an effective way to be able to process this amount of data and turn that into valuable insight for the customer, and but also actual integrations. You know we we do have integrations with laser scanning companies and with 360 image capture companies um, that use our spot SDK that allow them to create software that interacts directly with the robot. So I think that's really promising. We, we will need to build out an ecosystem of, of end solutions, and that will take partnerships um, in the area. And you know, the other thing that we haven't really touched on that I, I wouldn't want to lose sight of is advancements in offsite construction and industrialized methods of construction that are able to prefabricate, you know, unitized architectural elements in a controlled environment, which is extremely efficient. And the question there is, how does that impact the concerns of site management? So now all of a sudden, you know, the concerns are about, you know, factories, warehousing, and logistics, and the activity on site is reduced by and large to, data collection, surveying, layout, installation, and finishing, and a lot of the actual trade work can be done in these um, controlled environments with increased safety and productivity. So I think I think that's just as important as the advancements in bringing automation into the field is also moving a lot of the tasks into offsite environments and industrialized environments. And so kind of moving forward, the key questions become how do those two things really work together to you know 10x or 100x the the roi opportunities that that these technologies afford to the construction process
1: thanks so much for that ryan i'd love to have a chat with you again at some point
3: yeah of course this was lovely thank you for inviting me good having you take care
1: you too bye
0: bye -bye. Always interesting to hear from Brian, a couple of quick things that I took from that. The fact that uh, he said what Spot is doing and does will open the door for new workflows, sort of meaning that we start with the very simple things with Spot and then it's going to grow to things that we never thought of before. The 3Ds, dull, dirty, and dangerous. So these are the things that robots are going to help with. They're not there to take our jobs. They're there to make our jobs easier to do by doing the 3Ds that we don't want. And the fact that it sounds like Spots can get its own app store is just super cool.
1: Yeah, the, the 3Ds, It's um, that was an interesting one for me too. It really helps me understand that the, the value of robotics and how it's there to it's there more of a complementary aspect um, to support human activity um, on-site rather than to replace them. Our next guest highlights the complexity of combining software automation and fabrication technologies on the example of prefabrication in the form of 3D printing. Cool stuff, eh? Very cool. His name is Eric Barron, he's a computational designer and expert on large-scale 3D printing and construction. Trained at the Design Academy in Eindhoven, he has been involved in concrete printing since 2013. As a researcher at BioFab Printing, his professional focus is on industrializing his technology in connection with emerging architectural practice and workflows. Hey, Eric. How are you? Good how are you David? I'm doing good, I'm excited. Um, 3D printing with concrete, that's that's some awesome stuff. I can only imagine how much work goes into the process, <laughs> uh, particularly on the, the software side of things. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, just, I could kick us off into our first question, how much does different uh, automation software affect 3D printing manufacturing?
4: Concrete printing uh, is is actually not so new, it it has been around for a long time. If you Google online, you'll find videos that go back to to the 1940s, 1930s, uh, in which people try to to print a structure uh, by depositing layers of concrete in a a particular shape. Recently, there's been a boom in, in people uh, doing research on, on, p- on printing with uh, concrete. Um, and mostly this has to do with uh, industrial robots, robot arms that, that come from car factories. They have become uh, very affordable and a lot of people um, you know, started uh, experimenting with this. Um, also, this is not necessarily new because robots have been around for decades. They haven't changed all that much. What has changed is the capacity of software to uh, control these kind of machines uh, in a a way that is fast and precise enough. uh, And this was more complicated before that. Um, And uh, that's the reason why there has been a boom in this kind of uh, research. Um, particularly if you talk about automation in, in software, uh, I don't think uh, what people do now has so much to do with automation in the, in the software. Uh, but I think this is something that they are going to do. Uh, because now a lot of people do um, a lot of, how do you say that, um, kind of prototyping in software. So these are not really stable uh, programs that are used to uh, program these kind of robots or machines or printers to print uh, buildings. Um, There's a lot of uh, tweaking and experimenting involved, uh, which is okay for the stage uh, that we are in now. But if if you're really gonna print a building with thousands of unique prints, that are, uh, you know, that all have different kind of loading and different kind of demands. Um, it's going to be very, very hard to understand what's going on in all these prints. It's going to be very hard to get a perfect result for all of these uh, these structures. Um, it's something that I I literally experienced. I sometimes get vast volumes of geometries. Uh, in, uh, on my computer, just boom, and I have to give an answer. People ask me like, "Okay, um, can these can these endless bundles of vo- uh, uh, geometries can they be printed? Yes or no?" And to give a, a good answer to that question is is incredibly complicated. It's really complicated question because. Uh, when printing concrete, uh, the material changes its behavior throughout the process. So there is a, many different kinds of material properties that, that take place at the same time. So it's not just doing one analysis of one shape. You have to do hundreds of analysis of one shape to understand how it will behave. And uh, if you have to do that with hundreds of shapes for just one design, um, Uh, That that is a a vast amount of complexity that uh, has to be dealt with. The Mm -hmm. only way this can be done is if you automate uh, this kind of a process. So uh, when you're uh, 3D printing,
1: is that more on-site or off-site?
4: I I work for a a company that's called Braille Prefab Printing. So I'm most definitely on on team prefab. (laughs) So um, yeah... But uh, I'll, I'll shortly explain uh, what is the advantage or disadvantage of doing this. Very important when, you, when you're printing concrete is uh, the, the level of control that you have over your material. And um, in this, temperature and humidity and even the slightest vibration is relevant, is an issue, in fact. Um, on the building site. Trying to find uh, a perfectly stable, perfectly climatized, perfectly uh, you know controlled situation is is probably not easy. We're probably not gonna. It's very hard to do this. So you probably have to print slower in order to accommodate for this. Um, in that sense, uh, control leads to speed, speed being cheaper, because if you print more, it becomes cheaper. So um, there's a, there's a lot of these kind of considerations when doing this. But I don't think it's, it's a very relevant question, to be honest, because just the question as to how we're going to print, um, yeah, it, it doesn't really matter that much, to be frankly, when you look at the machine, if you use a gantry or a robot, or the, the, the conditions are important, but the machine is not so important the material is much, much, much more important. Um, So I think a lot of energy in R&D will go into uh, both the material and the software and much less as to what kind of a system is extruding this kind of uh, concrete. Uh, It can be anything. It doesn't, you know, the machine itself is not so uh, interesting actually. But do you agree that there are
1: um a lot more downsides to on-site construction than to, to
4: prefab. Mm, yeah, uh, I'm a bit biased, of course, but um, there is a few issues that, um, let's say that your print collapses for whatever reason. You, you don't have a perfect control, and therefore your print collapses. If that happens in a factory, this is okay, because the material the, it just falls onto a print bed, it's lifted off the print bed, and it's recycled a construction site, it's all over the place. It's over, it's on top of your building, all over your, <laughs> what you were doing. And you have a, a, a pile of quick hardening concrete that's dripped all over the place. This is going to be very, uh, yeah, it's quite unpractical. Uh, so yeah, there are buildings that are printed on site, usually quite crude, they're plastered over, they're, they're finished, so to say, you, you hardly ever see the prints. Um, yeah, I think it, it is much harder to, to, to do it uh, really uh, correctly on the site. I think that's, that's just difficult to get right. So, where do you see the,
1: the future of 3D printing and manufacturing? Do you think maybe one day we could see fully 3D printed buildings?
4: Um, a, a, a building is always... A, a mixture of techniques and materials. It's, it's very rare cases is a building, one material in one technique. This is very rare um, and uh, usually it, it, it doesn't, uh, um, it, it, usually it's a monument or a, it's not a house. <laughs> um, so uh, I don't think this is going to take over everything. Um, I think it it is, uh, the the beauty is that it's very complementary to casting concrete. Everything casting concrete does well, concrete printing does not do so well. If you think about making straight things, straight walls or solid blocks, concrete printing is not very good at that. If you think about what casting is extremely bad at, curves, double curves. all hollow uh, shapes, uh, printing is, is really good at doing this. So um, uh, it's not so black and white as it's going to take over everything. So I think it will be, uh, it will rise and it will combine itself with a, a, all kind of techniques out there. So um, it, yeah, it will become a, a common way of doing things, but it will not take out over everything. It's going to, I do you say, that, uh, uh, merge into all kind of other ways of doing things.
1: It's cool to think that one day we could see big robots 3D printing things on a building site, as well as, you know, people casting blocks
4: and stuff. I, th- I think that'd be really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just beautiful mixtures. There's people that make, uh, you know, all kind of augmented reality apps for brick layers, that brick layers can, you know, see where the brick is supposed to go. From directly from a computer model, so that's a beautiful hybrid between craft and technology, which is in the end just just a tool. Um, if you if you look at, at all the buildings, if you look at buildings from 19th century, there's so much pride in how how things are done, how things are finished. You know, if you look at how the wood is 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 carved, how everything is put together, how the bricks are laid, there's there's so you can clearly see. As this bricklayer had a good time doing that. He really wanted to make something that he thought that he would be proud of. But it's very easy to, to mistake that there's no, no craft in, in, uh, st- left. Actually, the, the concrete industry is, is, one, is one of the last places in the industry where the craft is still there. It's, uh, particularly if you look at, at, at non-standard forms in concrete, they, they're cast in molds, and the molds are made by, by by mold makers. And if you look at these molds from the inside, you know it's like Italian design furniture. You know, there's it's not even the tiniest of bumps. Uh, even when it's really curved and, and and spherical and round, they finished it absolutely perfect. That that is uh, uh, that's craftsmanship. That's hard, <laughs> and one of the reasons why. Uh, Prefab producers are interested in printing is because the people who do this, they are 50, 60 years old, and people, uh, young people, uh, they're not so interested in doing this. Uh, so they already know, they can basically calculate that um, th- these skills won't be around in 10, 20 years time. Uh, so that's why they uh, try to use skills that young people have right now, uh, particularly digital skills, uh, t- to compensate for that. So that is actually one of the, m- the very big motivations for you, for using this technology. To bring back the passion for it. Uh, to keep it. <laughs> Basically, one, one craft gets replaced with another. and uh, but, but there's still a, a tremendous amount of, of craftsmanship there, even though people work with machines. Uh, and th- that's the same for robotics. A lot of people are afraid that, that this machine will take away jobs, but the actual people working with them, they don't, have, they don't share this sentiment at all. They see, just see it as a tool, a tool that they can use to take over the less interesting part and they can focus on the more interesting aspects of their work.
1: It's a great thing to end on, to, to keep the passion for, for building. I like that. But unfortunately, due to time, I think that we're going to have to cut it here. I could talk to you all day about this stuff. It's it's You're a really interesting person. Ah, thank you. I'd love to have you back at some point. Mm-hmm. Thanks a lot for today. Thank you too, David. See you later. Bye-bye.
0: Some cool things there from Eric. Uh, again, some of the things that jumped out to me from the interview. Uh, the fact that the concept of of Printing concrete has been around for 80 years, kind of blew my mind. I also like the idea of the way he said that one craft replaces another. And the fact that he sort of stressed the fact that robots are tools to help, they're not to replace people. I think that that ties back to what Brian had said earlier.
1: Yeah, I agree. What I took out of this session is that we can really benefit from each other when we learn from different industries, different disciplines. We can exchange the knowledge over multiple generations. And on that, we seem to be chatting a lot about the future. Um, And who better to ask about the future than someone who has just started their journey? Florian Gemici is a civil engineering graduate from London South Bank University, studying the possible BIM and blockchain fusion at the design phase of the construction process. His research mainly focuses on the information management, delivery and automation in the AEC industry. He pleads for blockchain as being a technology that could build a trustworthy network in the construction space, which could subsequently lead to a more efficient and automated industry.
5: Hey, Florin, how are you? Hey David, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm brilliant.
1: I just wanted to bring you in to wrap up this month's episode. As the next generation of the building industry, uh, how do you see automation developing over the next decade?
5: Uh, Yeah, sure. Okay, so I thought I'd structure my answer trying to describe how I believe the construction process from the design phase to handover would develop during the next 10 years, and what role will the automatization play in this new scheme? To be more specific, um, I was thinking of following an object, a door for instance, along the processes it goes through. From the concept to technical design, and all the way through to manufacturing, assembling, handover, use and maintenance. So to start off, I believe we can all agree that the construction process begins when the client wishes to build something and he proceeds to appoint uh, professional parties to bring his project to life. Um, this is a key stage where I think automatization can bring a groundbreaking change by using a digital construction marketplace uh, platform, for instance, and this platform uh, could act like a customizable restaurant menu on a tablet where the client would build up his team um, saying, for instance, uh, I'm going to appoint this architect with this m and and structures aside with some experienced contractors. And I'm going to appoint this real estate consultancy from the prop tech space to sell or rent out my flat. So I think that all these decisions should be automated and brought up to the client's fingertips. Um, then I- I believe that this platform used in conjunction with blockchain technology has the capability of reducing the likelihood of disputes between stakeholders um, because blockchain can ensure some features such as trust, transparency, and immutability, features that can reinforce the trust between the involved parties. Um, So once all this is set up, um, the actual work can start. At the concept design phase, uh, VR headsets or HoloLens goggles would be used to show the client around the building, for instance. Um, the trio VR, AR and XR would help him to quickly understand the proposed design and spaces and even enable him to interact and change the design at his will. Um, going farther, we get to the developed and technical design phases where I've basically explored how the current building information modeling approach could be merged with the blockchain technology. What I pleaded for in my thesis is that we should reach a point where the design teams, such as architects, structures, and M&E, will work on a live 3D model, all being aware of any change that is being made by the other teams in real time. The core idea was to allocate every single object and connection in the design software a unique hash a unique idea which would store changes made to an object and would be validated by each design team on a distributed ledger network. From a manufacturer and construction point of view, these objects can then be integrated in assemblies and platforms. Platforms are defined as being sets of components that interact in a very well-defined way uh, to allow a range of products or services to be produced. The term has been borrow- borrowed from the software and manufacturing industries, actually. Um, now that we are on site, given that blockchain hash can be associated with QR codes, this could give birth to new technologies which would enable construction workers to assemble pre-manufactured pieces on site, matching them with the help of QR codes, whilst looking at them through some smart HoloLens goggles, for instance. Um, If we were to talk about the use of self-learning technologies on a construction site, the applications can be unlimited. Um, AI algorithms can be used, for instance, uh, in the site access systems using facial recognition capabilities in identifying workers uh, accessing the site. Or it can be used in checking if the health and safety measures are followed by workers on site. Um, from a project management point of view, uh, synchronization between a project management software and the plant sensors on site could be able to almost run all the site works on its own. Even though this seems like a far-fetched idea, it could be definitely assist uh, assisting the site managers in a better in better managing the works on site. Um, Regarding the contracting phase, digitalization and automatization will definitely find its place and will be a game changer as well. For instance, all the decisions made on a blockchain network are triggered by smart contracts. Um, A smart contract encodes a set of terms and conditions predetermined by counterparts of an agreement. So each time a task or a milestone is completed, a smart contract is fulfilled and payments are triggered. Um, so I reckon that the ultimate ideal of automatization is to create a circular BIM model, which would eventually become an us model, which contains live information about building components and it becomes basically a digital twin. Um, this data would be extremely valuable for facility managers during the in-use stage of building's life cycle, as they will know exactly how every component within a building is operating which would be hugely beneficial in terms of performance optimization. However, uh, we don't have only new builds in this world, so automatization can play a major role in refurbishment refurbishment as well. Um, The main issue we come across in these existing buildings is that the serving process and the 3D modeling are time consuming. In this regard, Uh, There are companies, for instance, um, that are developing AI algorithms using machine learning on 3D point cloud scans and training the neural networks to recognize what particular bit of a building that scan is, and then automatically generate a model in the design software with a quite accurate precision. Now, on a more human-like note, uh, we can see that the complexity of our society systems grows. The trend is to use more devices and software to automate processes. But this also implies that the more of these we use, the more intensely we need to retrain, learn, and update our skills. The lifelong learning concept will scatter around all tiers of the society and professionals, and it won't be any longer a concept followed only by people in top hierarchy positions. Being surrounded by a greater number of sensors and devices also implies that people are going to be under constant surveillance. And depending on whose hands the control of these networks falls, this might have a positive or a negative impact. So this of course raises deep and meaningful questions regarding the change of people, social behavior and ethics. And even though automatization provides undeniable benefits, we should take a step back and analyze all the possible side effects that might emerge. So I think that we should be enthusiastic about it, but also exercise some precaution at every step. However, just to wrap it up on a positive note, I think that much more of all these cool things that happen in the construction industry should be presented to the general public. There should be more resources invested in advertising the construction industry itself. And I think that you guys do the right thing and a great job trying to present more of what is happening in our industry. We should be able to raise more awareness among people about this complex and beautiful construction space. Because at the end of the day, they are the tomorrow inhabitants of the smart buildings that we are building today.
1: Thanks, for some amazing points here, and it's a... It's a lot to think about. I'd love to have you back for another episode sometime to, to go more in-depth about uh, blockchain and, and different topics.
5: Sure. it would be my pleasure.
1: Thanks, Lauren.
0: Thank you, David. So that's really interesting to hear about sort of all the different uses of blockchain during the entire lifecycle of a building or an AEC project. Yeah,
1: I agree. I think what I've taken from this episode is that we really need to keep the passion and not lose the bigger picture. We're designing and building a world for the generations to come. It's really important that we consider the purpose of automation in all its aspects.
0: Well, David, I want to thank you very much for this nice chat and all of the interesting insights that it's brought up.
1: Thank you, Carl. It's been a pleasure researching this topic.
0: Awesome work, David. And with that, we conclude our podcast. In closing, we'd like to thank our podcast technology sponsor, BIMTrack for their continued support of the Built Academy, as well as Peter Yozel for the intro music he provides to the podcast. Be sure to check out Episode 5, airing October 29th, to tune into Julia's interesting BIM Paraxis podcast about decentralization. Please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast and give us a follow on social media to stay up to date on all things Built Academy. Until then, on behalf of the Built Academy team, thanks for listening and stay curious.